Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. What is the vision of New Story Church and who are we as a church? One of the questions I get from people every once in a while is, hey, do you guys have like a membership class or do you have like an interest class? And at this point in time, we don't have anything like that. And so we said, let's just focus five weeks. Who are we? What are we doing? And then if you ever say, hey, you know what? Who is New Story and what are they doing? You can go back to this series. Or if you ever have a friend that says, hey, is there like an interest class to get connected? You can send them this series. And then guess what? You can have a conversation with them about this series. You can talk to them about what God has done in your life at New Story Church and how you got connected and what he's doing in and through you. And so this is really gonna be a foundational series. As I said, if you've been coming, there's gonna be some stuff that you've heard before. But if you're brand new, there's gonna be stuff you've never heard before. We're going to talk about why do we call ourselves New Story Church? Why is that the name that we chose? And why, why is it that, uh, what does it look like to experience a new story in Christ? And this is going to be a foundational series over the next five weeks, and I'm going to be preaching through most of it. But guess what? There's also going to be a guest in this series. Some of you might remember this, but a year and a half or so ago, my wife spoke at New Story, and she's going to be speaking again. And she did a great... Yeah. At the time, at the time we were just, we were small at the time. We didn't have many people and she spoke and it was our highest attended Sunday ever. And my uncle came up to me and he said, you should have your wife speak every week because uh, people show up. At the time we, we had some services at the time where like two people were here and then Kim spoke and a bunch of people were here. I was like, okay, well, we're, we're ready for that in a few weeks. But so, so I always struggle when I, when we're talking about new story and our vision and where do we even start with this story? Where does this even begin? And there's so many places throughout my life journey where I want to stop and talk about things, but if I were to do that, we would be here all day long. But to go back in some senses to the beginning, when I was a senior in high school, I sensed a call to ministry. And there was a whole thing behind that and a process that God took me through in that. But within that call to ministry, I specifically had an interest and felt like God was calling me towards starting a church, or as some people would say, church planting. Most of my heroes in ministry at the time were were people who had started and planted churches. And so I really felt at a young age, at 18 years old, in January of 2012, that this was something that God was impressing upon my heart. And then God continued to open up some doors for me. And I moved up to Western New York as soon as I graduated high school. I was raised in Northern Virginia. I met Kim pretty quickly, but it took me a while to start dating her. It was a couple years and, you know, there's a little back and forth, you know, cute little fun stuff. And we started dating. And then in July 25th, 2015, we got married. And when we, before we even got married, we started having, which means this month is seven years, by the way, seven great, wonderful years of marriage. But... Before we even got married, we were having conversations about ministry and starting a church because she felt at a young age that God had told her that she was going to marry a pastor one day. And she didn't realize when he said that, that he was going to bring this clown into her life. But anyways, we we worked that out. And we started praying. And even even before we were married, God, what do you want to do in our lives? And and where do you want to take us one day? And as, as we continued to grow in our marriage, we were working in another church at the time. I was doing student ministry. Kim was doing small group stuff. Some of you knew us from there when we were at the chapel. And God was working and moving in our hearts. And around fall of 2018, we really felt God was pushing us to take our next step. 
And we didn't really know what that would look like. And we started praying and we started saying, God, what is it? Because we knew we wanted to start a church. And at that point in time, he had developed within us a heart for Western New York. Early on, we didn't know where we we're going to move one day, where we we're going to stay here. And we just began to really love the people and we love this community. And we said, this is a community that we want to stay in. This is a city that we want to fight for. This is a community that is worth fighting for. And so we, we started praying about this and putting together a plan and at the times, that's when I was really getting wrapped up in some of the writings and influences of N.T. Wright and Scott McKnight and Dallas Willard and, and seeing the scriptures in a whole new way. And, and I was, God was really speaking to me in that time. And he spoke to me through a very simple and well-known verse. If you've been coming here for quite some time, you have heard us mention this verse time and time again, because this is our core verse at New Story Church. It's 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Behold, new things have come. And, and as I was looking at this and considering this, God was beginning to reveal to me and show me through some of the influences of my life that this new creation that God wanted to do within each and every one of our lives, this wasn't just about when we get to the good place one day. Oh yeah, I've been saved and you know, one of these days I'll get to the good place and then I'll be made new. But this story, this act, this, this movement of new creation that God has for each and every one of our lives, it begins now. That there's a new work that God is intending to do in your life right here, right now. That's why we do things like Eight Days of Hope, because we believe that we've been called to be a people of new creation and bring about new creation in the present age. That's a, it's a foreshadowing of the age to come. That's a foreshadowing of the fullness of love and hope and peace that we can find in Christ. So God was stirring all this up in our hearts in 2018, and I started thinking through all these different names for a church and new creation and new creature and all these things. And I, I remember one night I was talking to Kim, and I said, what about new church? And I just, something about that felt incomplete. And then I said, what about story church? Because you're a new creature, you have a new story in Christ, and we've been invited to live in the story that God is telling in the world. And I thought, maybe that's it. And then Kim looked at me, and she said, put them together. What about New Story Church? I said, that's it. That's it. And for a while, we had a bit of a hump to get over because people kept coming and saying, oh, I can't wait for that new song church. To no, it's not new song. We love the idea of a new song. You've been given a new song. But it's New Story Church. New Story Church. And so we, we started thinking and praying in this fall of 2018, and we put together a two-year plan to start a church in 2020 because we wanted to start a church in the year of a pandemic to let everybody know about the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. No, we didn't know that that was coming. But anyways, we started putting together a two-year plan. And we, we put together the plan, and then we put it on pause, and we gave it to God, and we said, God, we want to have a space, we want to have a church where people can discover the new story that Christ has for them. We want people to experience that, to discover that. But we said, God, we're not going to do this by ourselves because we had been to some church planter trainings. We had listened to some different leaders and we knew that we did not want to be that couple that was running around trying to do every little thing for the church because we knew that we were limited in our leadership. We needed other people around us. And so we gave it to God and said, God, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to move forward with this, even though we believe it's two years away until you send us another couple. We started praying and praying, and then God brought Neil and Lindsay into our lives, and I was getting closer to Neil at the time. I could, I could kind of sense that God was doing something in, in his life and in their lives, and he had called them to something, and so 
I said to Kim, I think Neil and Lindsay might be the other couple. And she said, I, I love Neil and Lindsay. We should talk to them about New Story. And we were trying to be really quiet about it at the time because we work in another church and we didn't want to be like, oh yeah, we're leaving. We're gonna, we were trying to be respectful and everything. So we went and we spoke to Neil and Lindsay. And I, I said, we gave them the vision, a new story, new creation, and take six months to think about it. And they said, we'll take six months to think about it. Within like two or three weeks, they came back and said, we're all in, we're ready to go. And we said, all right, God, we got him. Let's go. Let, let's make this happen. So we started having conversations. Not long after that, God brought joy into a new story to lead worship. And then he brought Aaron in as well. And they also happened to be dating at the time, but he also felt led here, not just because of the dating thing, but you know, there, th that was definitely a piece of it. And then God slowly started building our team. God slowly started building this team together in 2019 and 2020. And we were fundraising and doing all of these things. And you go meet with people and say, hey, we're going to go start a church. And we believe, you know, we can and bring new creation and new life in the name of Jesus. And people are like, oh, why do we need another church? And you're given the vision. You're like, this is going to work. This is going to happen. And look at where we are here. Like almost two years later, there are people here. People showed up and it's, it's been really good. And God's been moving in people's lives. Last year, we baptized six people. We're going to be baptizing people again in a couple months. At the end of the month, we have like 10 kids that we are dedicating. And that's not even all the babies and kids that we have to dedicate at New Story Church. We're going to have to do another one this year. It's just insane to see how God is. We've seen people giving their lives to Christ, serving, doing all these things. And this is what it means to discover and live in the new story that Christ has for us. He's been doing an amazing thing. He's been moving in a powerful way. And so, but this obviously brings us some questions like, okay, so what does it mean when people discover the new story? What does that look like? Because some people, you know, you're like, hey, what does that look like? What does that mean? What does it mean to discover and live in a new story? And early on, we were having conversations about that. Okay, we say we want people to discover their new story, but what exactly does that mean? And so we came up with these core values. We thought we were all clever. We thought, hey, we got core values. And when people live in these core values, they're living in their new story. But the core values that we came up with, nobody could remember. I would go up to, I'd go up to Aaron or Neil and say, hey, what are our core values? Oh, I don't know. And I thought, man, if we as a leadership team cannot remember our core values, then nobody is going to remember our core values. It didn't make any sense at all. And then one day I was having a conversation with Joy, and Joy came up with the idea of re restructuring our core values. And so we do have core values now. And what we say is if you're living in these core values in Christ Jesus, then you're living in your new story. And these core values actually spell the word story. So the first letter of each core value, S-T-O-R-Y, it spells out story. And we said, we can we can remember that. We can make that happen. And so this is what we said. We said people who are living in their new story, who've been transformed by Christ, who are living in this new creation, here's what we do. We are people of service and celebration. We are people of trust. We trust God and we trust others. We are people who give outstanding effort in everything we do as if we're doing everything for the glory of Christ. We are people who walk in relationships, relationships with God and relationships with others. And when we're living in our new story, we say yes to God, even when we don't fully understand it, even when it seems difficult, even when it seems complicated, we say yes to God. So here's what we're going to do over the next five weeks. We are going to look at one of our core values and break it apart and see what does it mean for us to be people of service and celebration? What does it mean for us to be people of trust? What does it mean to be people of outstanding effort? What does it mean to be people who value relationships? What does it mean for us to be people who say yes to God?
And one more thing before we jump into service and celebration today. Every single one of our core values has a God component and a people component because we believe that those things are intertwined and connected with one another. That's our conviction. We don't mosey around, oh yeah, I'm good with God and you know, I'll just figure things out with people as it goes. No, people can be difficult. We all know that. But our relationship to God should directly affect our relationship to people. And our relationship to people should actually inform and be connected to our relationship with God. It's all interconnected. It's all intertwined. This is important. We're not just, oh, I'm good up here and we'll figure this out. Or, oh, you know what? I love people really well, but I don't know too much. No, it's all intertwined. It's all brought together in Christ. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We love God and love neighbor. This is what we are called to do as Christ. The first and greatest commandment, love God and love our neighbors. So let's jump into this. First, we're going to talk about what it means for us to be people of service and celebration. That's the focus for today. And I don't have as much time for this one as I do the other values. I'm going to try not to talk too fast. I know I have a tendency to do that sometimes, but we're going to, we're going to get through this. Service and celebration. So the first one, simple. We are going to be people who serve God and serve others. Serve God and serve people. Serve God and serve people. And the essence of this comes from the life of Jesus himself. Jesus lived a life of serving God and serving others. In Mark chapter 10, James and John come to Jesus and they have this interesting conversation with him. You've heard me talk about this before. This is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture just because of the dynamics of it and the dynamics of Jesus uh, in, the, in the conversation afterwards. It's, it's really compelling. But James and John are like, hey, Jesus, we want you to do whatever, whatever we ask of you. And Jesus is like, what do you want me to do for you? You know, he's playing with them a little bit. They say, we want to sit in your glory, one at your right and one at your left. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about because they didn't. And if we were to really get into the context of what was happening there, they really didn't know what they were talking about. But Jesus goes on to explain who he is and what he's all about. And he said this in Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the mission and the essence of Jesus. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. The example of our Savior is an example of service. James and John were looking for fame. They were looking for notoriety. They were looking to be noticed. They were looking to be praised. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm about. That's not what this whole thing is about. It's not about fame and notoriety and all that stuff. It's about serving and in serving, yes, we do praise him, but, but we serve him. This is this idea of Jesus was wrapped up in serving others. Jesus was all about serving others. In fact, I would even go as far to say this. One of the ways that you can most look like Jesus is in serving others. 
When we serve others, that's when we look a lot like Jesus. That's when we really look like Christ, when we choose to serve, when we choose to go out of our way for the sake of the other person, when we choose to inconvenience ourselves for the sake of someone else, when we choose to lay down our life and our preferences for someone else, we start to look more and more like Jesus. And we actually find this in the very essence of the heart of God within the Trinity. The Father points to the Son and affirms the Son. The Son speaks back to and serves the Father. Then the Spirit testifies to who the Son is. So we see this loop of love and service within the Trinitarian God. So therefore, this is who we are to be as those who serve and follow the one who serves. He's a God who serves. We go back, if you go back to our series that we did back in January on our series in God the Father, uh, we talked about how even in the essence of the Father, because often we get this diluted picture of God the Father, that he just was bossing people around or being domineering. But we actually see, if you go back to message one, we talked about how God accommodates and God will accommodate to our space and our understanding for the purpose of being in solidarity with humanity and knowing humanity because he's a God who rules through serving. He's a God of service. Jesus served others. And this was really, really important to Jesus. If you think about it, Jesus said, you can't take my life from me. I give it. Giving in an act of service. He, he chose to serve even when we didn't deserve it. He chose to give his life so that we could have life even when we didn't deserve it because his heart is a heart of service. It's a weird thing that we sometimes have a hard time wrapping our minds around as humans because we view power and service in such a different lens. But the heart of Jesus as a leader is a heart to serve. And so we must seek to serve others. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a story of the, of the sheep and the goats. And this king returns and the sheep are those who have been following the king and the goats are those uh, not, not so much. And the king looks at the sheep and he says this in Matthew 25, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And, and the sheep, they respond in the parable. It's not gonna be on the screen, but they say, uh, when were you hungry and we gave you something to eat? When were you naked? We, what, when did this happen? What are you talking about? When did this happen? And the king, look at the king's response. This is so very powerful for us to understand the heart of service. The king says this, the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Just as you did this for one of them, you're doing it to me. You're doing it for me. Our relationship to God must inform our relationship to others. And our relationship to others will begin to inform because we, as we see the image of God in other people's lives and him restoring them, we'll see God at work as well. This is all intertwined. This is all connected. This concept of serving, this is something that God has had to do a work in my heart for time and time again. This is something that he has spoken to me on over and over again. When I was in my early 20s and I was just pursuing ministry, I thought, man, I just want to preach. I just want to preach. I'm just supposed to preach. I'm supposed to, man, I don't want to do all that other stuff. I'm just supposed to preach. That's what I'm supposed to do. And then I had a true humbling moment. I'd been living up here for two and a half years. It was the fall of 2014. 
And I, and I thought, oh, I got these, I had two interviews at two different churches. And I thought, I honestly thought both of them were a lock. I didn't get either job. None. I'd been dating Kim for a while and I would wanted to get married, but I didn't get that. I, I had not pursued any formal education at the time. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll just, people just let you know, I, I can speak. People like me, you know, I'll be, I'll be fine. It'll figure it out. And honestly, I fell flat on my face because I, like James and John, I was pursuing, oh, this will be about me. People think I'm good. People think I'm this. People think I'm that. And I, then I was here in Western New York, basically with nothing, thinking, do I move back home? What do I do? Where do I go? Thankfully, my, my future father-in-law stepped in and said, hey, if you go back to school, I'll pay for half of it. And I was like, oh, now I have to go back to school. Dang it. <laughs> Now I have to. I had no choice then. I go, so I, I, I had to go back to school, realize that, hey, Scott, you have to learn. So I, I had to learn some things. And then I wanted to get a job because I wanted to get married. And I, and, I, and I was like, oh, my goodness, where do I go? The only other experience I had outside of ministry was working with shoes. I'd worked at Red Wing Shoes, and, and growing up, believe it or not, most of you would never guess this of me, I worked at a store in Virginia that sold cowboy boots. <laughs> and steel toe work boots, and we were the number one independent Carhartt retailer in the state of Virginia. <laughs> Folks, this is before Carhartt was cool. This was back when only people like Neil Friedman wore Carhartt, okay? This, 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 I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't, that wasn't a dig or anything. I was just being honest. But this is back before you saw like Bethel Worship wearing Carhartt. You're like, oh my gosh, Carhartt's so cool now. No, it was, it was like Carhartt was, this is what people are wearing who are driving around tractor. I've never driven a tractor in my life. And so I'm in this store as a poser wearing plaid and all this stuff. And I, I had no idea what I was doing. But, and, uh, and, but this is the only experience I had. I went to this little shoe store on Eggert Road called Hook Shoe Store. And I thought, you know, I've worked in shoes. I'll go apply there. And I went and applied and they hired me full time. I loved my coworkers. I loved my boss. It was an incredible experience, but it was also a humbling experience. I had to go to work every day with a tie on. If you've known me for any period of time, you know I'm not a tie guy. I went to a wedding yesterday and wore a t-shirt with a sport coat. Like, I, I don't like wearing ties. So I had to wear a tie to work every day. Every customer that we waited on we had to sit on this little stool and I had to untie their shoes for them and then put their shoes on them and tie them and go in the back and get another pair of shoes for them. We had to fit them for custom orthotics. We had to fit them for custom insoles. I saw some stuff that I wish I would have never seen in my entire life. <laughs> like one time this man came in and he had stepped on a massive nail that went into the metatarsal uh, pad on his foot. And he came in and he took his sock off. He basically stuck his foot in my face and he said, see this here? I said, sir, have you been to the doctor? <laughs> he said, no, I thought you could help me. <laughs> like, I, I, no, you need to go to the doctor. I could see inside of his foot. <laughs> so I did this whole thing. I, I put his foot in a plastic bag and then I put lipstick where the hole was and I had him walk around on it. And then I saw and I created this custom insole that put a pocket around the hole. And then I said, you need to go to the doctor immediately. But I saw many, I saw people with, with no toes. I saw, I saw, you know, ulcers on people, like, like some very serious stuff that I had to work with. One time I was working 
And I was waiting on this uh, girl. She was a runner and she had tried on like 10 pairs of Brooks and Sauconies and all these shoes. She's like, and she's just walking around. And my grandmother had come in because she wanted me to take care of her and get her a pair of shoes. My poor grandmother had to sit and wait for over an hour while I was waiting on this other woman. And she's trying on every shoe and she's walking around doing things like this in the middle of the store. And I thought, can you just please pick a stinking pair of shoes? My, I, I got to my grandmother and she said, what was that woman's problem? She was here forever. I, I said, I know, grandmother, this, this is what happens. But what God was doing in that time is he was teaching me to every customer. I had to listen to them. I was not a good listener. I had to pay attention to what was going on. I had to touch people's feet a lot of the time. And this is because Jesus knew he knew, Scott, you are such a knucklehead that unless I have you touch people's feet like I washed my disciples' feet, you are not going to learn what it means to serve. You are just not going to get it. And it was in that job that God started speaking to me and teaching me how to listen, how to connect with people, how to not always make everything about me. And while it was a humbling experience, it was a learning experience. And it was in that that I started learning, this is what it means to serve. And don't get me wrong, I have not arrived yet. I still struggle with this every once in a while. But this is what God wants to do. Sometimes God will take you to a spot that you never expected to go to. But it's in that moment that he's going to teach you what it means to truly serve. And it's from that I also learned the impact of serving. There were people who would leave with tears in their eyes when they finally got a shoe that fit them properly or, or an insole that worked for them. And it's from that I began to see, oh, wow, when you serve people, it actually makes an impact. It actually makes a difference. And as I said, this kept bringing me back to the moment in John 13 when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And I'm just so, I'm all, whenever I think about that passage, I'm just so blown away by it because the cross was so close. The cross was so close and Jesus knew what was coming. But in that moment, he chose to serve. He did something for others. I don't know about you, but when I know that I have something stressful coming up or when there's something weighing on my mind or there's something that's bothering me, my first thought is not, hey, what can I go do for someone else? My first thought is, Oh my goodness, this is coming up. This is going to be, this, I'm, what's going to do to me? How's it going to affect me? And the example of Jesus is to never think of self first, but to always think of others. And after Jesus did this in John chapter 13, look at what he said. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you were right for so I am. If I then the Lord and the teacher wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is the example of Jesus, to have a heart of service, to serve, serve, serve. We look like Jesus when we start serving others. We look like Jesus when we think others first and not self first. And this is something that we may never always fully arrive in, but we can constantly be praying, Holy Spirit, renew my mind, renew my heart, help me to see others first and serve others as Christ has served them and would serve them. We are people who serve God and serve others, which brings us into celebration. We celebrate God and we celebrate people. We at New Story Church, we celebrate God and we celebrate people. I want to change the story. I want to change the narrative where people just think, oh yeah, you know, Christians, they're, you know, they're, they're the stiffs. They're the ones who are, you know, they're the ones who are always correcting people. They're the ones who are always judging people. They're the ones who are always, you know, 
They're the ones who, no, 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 we are called to be a people of celebration. Richard Foster in his, his text on the celebration of discipline, spiritual disciplines, he talks about how celebration is actually a spiritual discipline. Just like reading scripture is a spiritual discipline. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. But celebration, celebration unlocks joy. If you want to experience the joy of the Holy Spirit, if you want to experience the joy that is, exists within the fruit of the Spirit, that can begin to happen through becoming a people of celebration. I don't know if you knew this or not, but did you know that we've been given a reason to celebrate? That we've been given a reason to celebrate God. Oh, and also here's a fun thing. Did you know that through serving, that's also a gateway to celebration? That when you serve other people and take the attention off yourself and put it on them, you are celebrating them, you are encouraging them, you are building them up. And we exist as people to celebrate God and celebrate others. Well, how do we celebrate God? We celebrate God by how we live our lives when we reflect that we have been changed by him, when people can see that something different has happened in our lives, our lives become a testimony of celebration. But within that, we celebrate God even simply in a space like Sunday morning. Some of you come here sometimes, you're like, why, why, do, they, why do they sing so loudly? And why are there some people who are raising their hands? And why are there some people who are clapping? And why are there some people who are doing this? That's because we are here to celebrate God because we have been given a reason to celebrate he is a good God who has given us life and love and hope. He's given us a second chance. He's given us a new story. So we always have a reason to celebrate him. We always have a reason to put the attention on him. And so we as a church, we are committed to using every resource available to celebrate him. Some of you may have been coming here for a while and you're wondering, man, can I raise my hands in worship? Yes, you can. When you raise your hands in worship, if that's something that you feel comfortable to do, or if that's something you want to do, what you're saying is you're putting yourself in a position of surrender before him and saying, I am celebrating that I can place my trust. I can place my life. I can place my hope in you, Jesus, because you've given your life for me so that I can have life. We celebrate him because of all that he has done and he has given us. And he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy to be celebrated. So it's okay to celebrate him. We've been given permission. Psalm 150, where the psalmist is talking about praising God. He says this in Psalm 150, verses three through five. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. The psalmist was saying, hey, it's okay to dance. It's okay to use cymbals. It's okay to use trumpets. The psalmist was basically saying, hey, I am going to use every resource available to me to praise God. And so we are committed as a church to using every resource that's been made available to us to praise our God. So we will worship loudly, we will worship passionately. We will praise him because we are celebrating him and we are celebrating everything that he has done for us. We will celebrate him and we will use every resource to celebrate him in service to him. We are celebrating him. They're connected service and celebration. And we will celebrate people, especially when people take a step forward in their faith. We are gonna celebrate that. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a series of three parables. This is so different. Last series, we were just in 1 Peter. This week, I got us all over the scriptures. A little bit of a different approach. We were, we were in five verses last week. This week, we're all over the place. We're going to Luke 15. We've been in Mark 10. But Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a series of three parables. And after the first two parables, he talks about how the angels rejoice over a sinner who repents and turns to Jesus. 
He says this in Luke 15, 10. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He says, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels when someone turns to Jesus. There is joy. There is celebrating when someone turns to Jesus. So new story, church. When someone decides to give their life to Jesus, we clap for them. We celebrate them. When someone does something as simple as walking in the doors of New Story Church, we must greet them with a smile and celebrate them. Why? Because they're taking a step closer to Jesus. And if the angels are rejoicing over somebody taking a step towards Jesus, then guess what we are going to do? We are going to celebrate people who are moving towards Jesus. Celebration will be more powerful in transforming a life than condemnation. Sometimes we take the path of condemnation because it gets a quick fix. It gets a quick response. But when we choose to celebrate people, Romans says that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. That could take some time. That could take some investment. That could take some listening. But it's through kindness that celebration comes. We are going to build people up to see who they can become in Christ Jesus. And we do that through service and celebration. If we are going to discover our new story and live in our new story, then we are going to serve God and serve people. We are going to celebrate God and celebrate people. And can I just say for a moment, for those of you at New Story Church who serve on our story team, some of you are on our worship team, production team, children's ministry, greeting team, security team. Some of you are on our outreach team. Thank you for serving. Thank you for serving. And if I missed a team, thank you for serving. We love that. We love that you're saying we're gonna be committed to his church, his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And for those of you who might even be in a season of life right now where you're maybe not even sure if you want to serve in a church or if, or if you're maybe, you know, maybe even a little too busy to do that, just know this. Church is not the only place you can serve. You can serve wherever you find yourself, in your job, in your family, in the day-to-day. Think of how your perspective might change. And instead of walking into a room and wondering, what does everybody think about me? You walked into a room and said, how can I serve here as Christ would serve? Instead of walking into a room and thinking, oh, uh, what, what are people thinking about me? Who can I celebrate here? Church, this is why we're even doing things like Eight Days of Hope. Sign up for Eight Days of Hope because we are here to serve and celebrate. It's through service and celebration that we can transform lives. It's through service and celebration we can transform our city and people can see a new story of new life and new creation. This is what we are here to do. We exist so that you can discover your new story. We exist so that we as a church collectively can come together and write a new story in our city. And we write that story in doing this. We write it when we serve and celebrate God and serve and celebrate people. We write that new story when we trust God and we trust people. We write that new story when we give outstanding effort in all that we do as if we are doing it for him. We write that new story when we deepen our roots in our relationship with him and on our relationship with others. And we write that new story when we say yes to him, no matter the cost. So church, I want to invite you to stand as we close this service today. We're going to have a moment of worship. 
We're going to praise him. We're going to turn our attention to him because it is in focusing on him that he will begin to transform our hearts and minds and we can begin to see how we can become people of service and celebration.